Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie here. Great to have you with us. And this week we are celebrating International Women's Day. Uh, we thought no better international woman to get involved on Changes than Deborah Francis White. Deborah is a best-selling author, screenwriter, comedian, and host of the hugely successful and award-winning podcast, The Guilty Feminist. Growing up in Australia as part of a restrictive Jehovah's Witness community, Deborah describes her teenage years as being controlled by a male cult. This experience steered her towards comedy and feminism and ultimately led her to establish The Guilty Feminist, a community of women fighting for change. Deborah, you are our kind of ultimate guest to have on Changes. Thanks so much for being here. That's incredibly kind, given you've had Idris Elba. And <laughs> I I love hearing I'm I'm more ultimate than Idris. And that's only fitting during International Women's Day week. Well. Month. Uh, it's really not a day anymore, is it? It's a day week month now. I was going to ask you about that. What are your feelings on International Women's Day? I wish you could see Deborah's face, by the way, when I said that. <laughs> It was great. It's lovely to have a day, but I get rather exhausted because I because I'm known for the guilty feminist, and so I'm known for sort of feminism comedy. It's like feminist Christmas. I have to be everywhere all at once, and I have to do about ten events in the and same day. And you are day. feminist Santa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of feminist Santas, much the way there are lots of Christmas Santas. Yes, I'm a shopping centre feminist Santa. Um, but I don't know how men cope with having all the other days. To be honest with you, because it's very tiring. Um, just having one. I mean, I guess. On the average Wednesday, men have to get up and, and have to do a book a book launch about how difficult it is to be a, a man and men, men's issues and men's this and men's that. They, they must be exhausted is all I can say because one day is enough for me. <laughs> can I ask you, for those who are new to the concept of guilty feminism, what is it? What is a guilty feminist? Um, well, I was so in admiration of all the feminists in my eye line, in the public eye, but they all seemed so sure and so strident and excellent at it and I thought well I really definitely want to be part of this I feel this very strongly the inequality and but I thought I'm not sure I'm very good at this and I I think I just realized that feminism had become another thing to feel guilty about so I thought what if I said I'm a feminist but and confessed and so the opening is it's a bit like a sort of feminist confessional where we do these one-liners and we have to confess something true so one of my earliest ones which is a sort of classic is I'm a feminist but one time I was on a woman's rights march and I popped into a department store to use the loo and I got distracted trying out face cream and when I came out the march was gone (laughs) so I confess this thinking oh my god I'm gonna get kicked out of the feminist club yeah. And so many women got in touch to go, oh, my God, I've left a march. Oh, we stopped into the pub to have a quick, quick drink and we were absolutely going to go back out and we never did. <laughs> and I think so many people were like, oh, my God, thank God someone else has said it. Of course, many, many, many people went, 
oh my God, I also have those feelings that I plan to read the book about the suffragettes and in fact watch four hours of Say Yes to the Dress. <laughs> and it's really helped me, I think, over the years become a much better feminist because I set mm. out to learn not to be good. And I've just come to the conclusion you don't have to be perfect to be a force for meaningful change. And that's a good thing because none of us are perfect. Exactly. And it's so inclusive immediately. It just makes everyone feel at ease. Since you started Guilty Feminist, how do you think feminism has changed? It's changed so enormously in the time that I started. And it was such a short time ago. So it started December 2015. So it really kind of took off in 2016, 2017. Well, that was all before the Me Too movement. (laughs) The head of steam that came about in 2018 and the shifts in the public perception about what feminism is and who's entitled to a piece. Mm. And then again, the more recent backlash with the kind of Andrew Tate of it all of, you know, you know you're taking something from us and the polarisation that's happened since. It's quite a different landscape from the one I started it in. And is it a landscape that you think is encouraging or less encouraging than when you started? Um I think it's both more and less. Mm. Of course, Roe versus Wade was overturned in America, which means that there is no automatic right to an abortion. And in some states, it is, in fact, illegal. Do you know what I think? I think that's the empire striking back because we're making moves, because the rebellion is working. And when the rebellion is working, the empire always strikes back. So it's a good sign. When they're just happy with the status quo, you know you're not making any progress. Mm. On the other hand, the empire striking back with a force... There are rabbit holes on the internet down which people can be radicalised very, very quickly. And I fear that that is is happening and we need more conversations. I'm writing a book at the moment called Six Conversations We're Scared to Have that will be out in spring next year now. But it's about polarisation, about conversations we can't have, about ways forward, ways that I think we're being manipulated on the internet to break apart This kind of convergent thinking where we all have to think the same thing and if we don't think exactly the same thing, we tell on each other or we um, harass each other. Of course, there are hard lines for everybody, but there are lots of things within that where we have lost the art of plurality and Mm. uh, divergent thinking. And I think I am very aware of that because when I was younger, I was in a cult. And so this is partly what the, the book is about. So you've witnessed firsthand how people can kind of homogenize an ideology or a way of thinking Mm -hmm. and follow each other. Well, let's get into change then. So you mentioned you were in a cult and you talked about this as your big childhood change. How old were you when this happened? 14. What changed for you upon joining the Jehovah's Witness, upon your family joining them? How did you have to adapt? Um, Well, in every conceivable way. So I'd had a pretty, you know, quote unquote standard, whatever that means, childhood, growing up in Australia. And the cult, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I I think a good definition of a cult is any group that won't let you leave with your dignity intact. Mm. And they won't. It's a very, very, very patriarchal religion to the point that a woman has never made a decision in the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses, not once. Not even when your local kingdom hall is cleaned, is decided by a woman. Wow. Not even a secretarial duties, nothing, nothing. It's worse than, you know, being in Edwardian England. That narrative 
means that women can't advance in any way in the religion and are always being told you're a second class citizen and you're very controlled by very controlled by men. So I was 14, you know, I dismissed out on all my developmental years. I didn't right. sexually develop, I didn't yes. come into my own, you know, like I mm. when I left school, I got very brainwashed by it very quickly and I was a really good student. So I got into the university of my choice, but I was told on the evening of my baptism, I was 16 when I got baptized as a minor, that I wouldn't be allowed to go to university. So although I got in, I couldn't go. And how did that make you feel at the time? Oh, I was devastated. And I argued and argued and argued that I should go. It wasn't technically against the rules, but it was strongly advised against. And then the elders would come around and basically strong arm you. And then they'd say, yes, it's not against the rules, but it's inadvisable and therefore you're not being obedient to the elders. But you then you've got a bad attitude. And so you could yeah. be marked or publicly reproved or disfellowshipped, which is then you lose everyone you know and you, everyone has to cut you off. So you're cast out from the yeah. community. And right. the problem is because you have to cut off all your friends when you join. You're not allowed to keep your old friends because oh, they're really? worldly. Were you still in school, like your normal school? Or I did you was. have to leave? Yeah, yeah, I could talk to my friends at school, but like you're not meant to be socialising with friends after school or anything like that. And I it see. was a sort of slow development for me because you don't, on day one, you don't do all that, but they... Right. They're socialising you in and making it seem better than it is. And then, of course, yeah. slowly, 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 you become more indoctrinated and advised that, you know, worldly people were going to rub off on you. But if someone gets disfellowshipped and it's publicly announced that Sister Annie McManus can no longer call herself one of Jehovah's Witnesses, if I then say we'd be best buddies, we sat together every day at the meetings, we shared a flat, yeah. from that day forward that you got disfellowshipped... Not only could you not share my flat, if I saw you in a coffee shop, I'd have to pretend I couldn't see you. I'd have to totally ghost you in person. I'd cross the road to avoid you. I couldn't say even a greeting, mm. much less have a meal with. You're now the enemy, much more than a normal worldly person. Right. You've got to be shunned. Multi-problems with this. People get cut off from their whole families. Families are very much encouraged to cut you right out. So you're living always with this fear underpinning all of your actions and behaviour, that you will lose everything and everyone. Yes. So it's a culture of fear. Yes. And the punishment is shunning. Right. So that means you've got nobody because you've cut off all your friends or if you're raised in it, you don't have any friends outside. And the punishment for for dis contravening is shunning. So now you're totally alone in the world. When I first left, I didn't see anyone, like, socially all week. What was the trigger for you leaving? I had a lot of bad experiences in the organisation, so I got accused of sleeping with a married elder. I hadn't even kissed a boy, like I hadn't wow. bought a girl. <laughs> I didn't know what sexual urges were. I didn't know what an erection was at this mm. point. So you're really cloistered, like, in terms of what you're allowed to consume, read. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I didn't, didn't know penises got erect until I saw one in real wow. life. God, that must have been quite the fucking shock. It was certainly not what I was expecting. It was really yeah. upside down. I was like, ah... Uh, this makes sense. Because I always thought before, how could you get it in? Because it looked to me like you'd have to be shoving a marshmallow through a post box. Yeah. But it turns out it goes hard. Yeah. I didn't know. I just didn't know. Maybe yeah. I'd heard hard on and things, but I just didn't yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't. I couldn't yeah. fully imagine it or I didn't understand it. So this is how innocent I was and naive I was. And I was accused of sleeping with a married elder who I had nothing to do with. Like we were from the same town and we'd both moved to Sydney and how old were you? This is still gap year age, you know. Not that we were out of gap years, but, you know, that age. And I was so shocked because he was like 10 years older than me. And he was friendly to me, but we never ever saw each other alone or 
Mm. It was never flirtatious. There was no sexual tension between us. I got once accused of having a coffee with a worldly person. And I was actually, I was working in a shop at the time and um, I was having coffee with my boss. And we were chatting about, you know, stock or something. And they said, well, be very careful. You can't be socialising with worldly people because someone had seen me and turned me in. You know, this this kind of Gilead type. Mm. But women were allowed to do these plays. There was a meeting each week where we were having to rehearse going and knocking on doors and we'd stand up on the stage and then I'd, I'd like pretend to knock like that or something. And then you'd open the door and I'd say, um, hello, I was just in the area today and I was wondering if you ever wonder, worry about the future. And then you, Annie, yeah. would say, do you know, I do worry about the future. Yeah. And I'd say, do you know, I'd love to show you some scriptures from the Bible. And you'd say, why don't you come in? This yeah. never happened in real life. <laughs> never. But it was always perfect. I said, oh, I'm so interested in that. Show me more. Great. Yeah, would yeah. you like this copy of The Watchtower that explains more? I'd love that. Come back next week. Yeah. I had been funny at school and I'd done debating. And I had got a lot of kudos from being funny and also being funny in drama. This is all before I was yeah. baptised and, you know, weeding myself off real life and all the things I was good at. So I knew I was funny and... There was nothing for me in this. And so I thought, wow, these little plays, I thought, I reckon I can make this funny. Mm. Make the next one funny. And so um, I developed a sort of way of doing these little plays and I discovered that nothing is funnier to Jehovah's Witnesses than taking the piss out of the born-again Christians. So usually only got two little plays a year. Well, Annie, those people (laughs) were amateurs. I figured out lots of sisters. Yeah would get stage fright, didn't want to do it, so they'd pretend they were sick on the night. So what I would do is I said to the theocratic ministry school overseer, if anyone's um, sick and you need an understudy, um, I'll jump in at the last second, Hmm. anytime. Just tell me on the night. I'll go into the back room. I'll quickly write a talk. I'll grab a sister. I'll give her the notes Hmm. to read. And so I ended up with like 10 of these little plays a year. This is is the way a performer will find a way. Yeah. That's how we learned to do stand-up comedy. Wow. So you were known as this person within the community. Then the accusation of sleeping with your elder happened. Because I was high profile. I think I pissed people off. Because you're popular then because you're the funny one. Yeah, of course. And you make a very boring meeting a bit entertaining. And people go, we loved what you did today. Someone else gets jealous. And they make trouble for you because Mm. it's so small. It's so closed, you know. And then you moved across the other side of the world. That's a change. I did. Well, I got so sick of these kangaroo courts and stuff, feeling like I wasn't, whatever I did wasn't enough. I was already knocking on doors 90 hours a week. Um, not 90? A month, rather. Sorry, a month, not a week. 90, okay, so 90 it's hours for, a month. For, right. It's all volunteer work, but you have to work yeah. two days a week in a shop to support yourself or a hotel or something. I worked in a hotel concierge because I spoke Japanese from high school. Uh, there was lots of Japanese tourists, so I could get that kind of work, which was quite well paid. Yeah. So I did that. And then there were deaf people in my congregation. So I learned sign language to translate them or interpret the meetings. And so then I got interpreting work um, in colleges in in Sydney and stuff. So, you know, Interesting I was finding that you're finding You're finding all your own ways of learning without yeah. being in third level education. You're kind of, you're just squirreling away, learning what you can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then some other witnesses went to London I didn't know them, but I heard of them. And they were saying, oh, we're pioneering there. Pioneering is when you do the full-time door knocking. Because most people just 
door knock on the weekends or you know once a week or something pioneering it's such a noble word for for that isn't it i love it it really is um so i was a pioneer so these other young women went over and said we're pioneering in london because they need help well this is the get out of you're not really meant to travel like for pleasure and take time out and it's worldly and everything but if you're going where the need is greater, that's your get out of jail free card. Now, I had wanted to live in London since I could read. And I could read when I was four because my mother used to read to me every day. And all, okay. all the books was, seemed to be set in this magical world called London. So for me, it was like Narnia. Like I was like, yeah. you know, but you can go there. So I desperately wanted to live in London. I was either being very devout or I was, this was my other side. This was my, you know, the yeah. guilty side to my... Yeah. yeah, the guilty Jehovah's Witness. Um, so clearly I was the guilty Jehovah's Witness. So I was yeah. like, oh, I can go where the need is greater. Sure, right. The one thing I'll say for being in a cult is it ha- it's a real social network. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, wherever you go, they have to take you in. They ha- you have to like whoever's in your congregation. You have to look yeah. after each other until you don't, until you can't, and then you cut them off. So yeah. it's very condition- highly conditional love. Yeah. But they were my age and I was another fun young Australian coming over and they were living in a bed sit and needed help with the rent. So they were like, yeah, sure. There were three of us in one room and two of us yeah. in another room upstairs. Only we're all women. Obviously you can't be sharing yeah, yeah, a shower yeah, yeah. with men. By this time I was so worn down. I was really ready to have some fun and live my truth. Mm. But of course you don't just wake up one day and go, I'm not in the cult anymore. It's not how it works. It has to wear off and you have to put yourself in a series of worldly situations. This is why they say, don't do it. Because it's you'll it'll wear off and it does it does wear off they're not wrong right. yeah so I started out with these young women who our main focus was not we went to the meetings but it wasn't that's not our focus our focus yeah. was seeing London having a good time and going to the yeah. West End to see if we get ten pound tickets or then I ended up as a nanny in New York hmm. and when you're living with a family who aren't Jehovah's Witnesses you right. wake up. It's really hard to other people when you're looking after their children yeah. and you're living with them and you're seeing they're happy. They're living good moral lives. And by moral, I'm not talking about, you know, artificial morality. I'm talking about they're good people. They're yeah. doing their best in the world. They're, they're not hurting anybody else. At the same time, I got mixed up with some Jehovah's Witnesses in New York who were into self-help. And they were a bit edgy because they're a bit more cosmopolitan New Yorkers. Mm. And they were talking about doing not going to the meetings out of guilt I started to get into that. When I came back to London to Nanny, I thought, hmm, I thought, I'm never going to go to the meeting again out of guilt. Never went again, Annie. Never went again. Never went again. Yeah. And I woke up. And you woke up. And then upon waking up, Mm. what did you learn? I I suppose even now, looking back, talking through it, thinking about it, processing it, what, what have you learned about yourself in terms of how you got through that and came out the other side? I'm a totally different person. Like the, the, the fundamental me that was me yeah. has always fought through those circumstances. And listen, there's a lot of people in a lot worse circumstances than being in a patriarchal religious cult in Australia and then London, you know, like it's not. But the meanness of me had to emerge I think of myself sometimes like a time traveller because I had the understanding of a Victorian mindset, hmm. but I'm trying to live in the modern world and recalibrate. So you can't just jump forward. Yeah. You have to find yourself and find out what do I think about everything? They decide it, what you think about everything. Yeah. There's a party line on everything. So you have to figure out what do I think about vote? I mean, you're not allowed to vote. You're not having any political opinions. Well, wow. 
you know, what do I think about what's my politics? So you have to are. you have to kind of get get to know yourself. Not even that. Figure out who you are in that landscape of of modern society. A hundred percent. You're not even allowed like a to sponsor an otter. How did comedy help and aid you in well processing all of this stuff and figuring out who you were? It's funny you ask that because I don't think I understood until I did psychedelics how. It helped me, but it became remarkably clear. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So you have cited psychedelics as one of your big adult changes. Please tell me everything. Well, I never thought I would do it. And to be clear, I have only done it legally in mm. countries where it is legal with a shaman and a therapist on hand and I've done it very very carefully I'm very nervous about my messing with my brain fair which I it turns out I've ADHD so mm. I didn't ever want to do anything like that they say with ayahuasca you kind of get the call now I've never been this kind of person I've so since I left the religion I become became so uber atheist and rational and stuff mm. but if you don't feel the call if you don't feel like this is for me I would recommend yeah. you don't do it. Yes. If you do feel the call, if you think, I think this is for me, you have to do so much research and you have to really know where you're going and you have to do it so safely with such, you know, legal place with, and I would recommend with a proper shaman and somewhere where you're massively supported. Yeah. And you have to know this is, you know, this is for you. There's lots of research going on in London and all over the world at centres and universities about the healing properties and the, the potential abilities to for healing, uh, trauma, addiction, PTSD, you know, so many different things, depression. Mm. So it's it's a really powerful thing. And it, I don't it's not to be diminished or sniffed at or this is for hippies, but there is masses of proper scientific research about what it does. And it's it's very impressive stuff, but it's not to be trifled with either. So that's my public service announcement. Yeah. Within that context, I went up a mountain. I had, you know, read the books and tried to do the therapy and really push past with positive thinking. But any time I spiraled or had a downer, I would always come back to this negative spiral. It's because I was in this cult. This cult took years of my life. It yeah. took me years to get over it. 
trauma, trauma, trauma. It's that, it's that, that thing's fault. And my life would be so much better without it. And if it hadn't happened, and if I could turn back time, and if I hadn't fallen for it, why was I so stupid? And I know I was only 14. If only I'd, if only I'd, if only I'd. Most of the time I'm an optimistic person and I'm lucky I don't Mm. suffer with depression. But when I would go down, it was always this same negative spiral and I couldn't get past it. I think I was past it. I think I'm past it now. Look, look at me go. And then something would happen, back down. And it was lockdown. And I started to have some therapy ready for the first time properly. And at one point I got so upset. I said to my therapist, I started crying. And I said, I'm broken. I'm broken. A friend called me and said, I, I told me her eyes experience said, I really think you need to do it. And I just got this strong feeling I had to call you. But she said, not, not, not now, you'll get the call. You'll get the call. And I said, I think this is the call, baby. You've just called me. And she went, no, no, no. But I said, more spiritual call. And I was, she said, it'll just appear to you and you'll know you have to do it. And you know it did because I Googled it. <laughs> uh, so I ended up up this mountain and I was like, well, I've looked into the neurology of it because I was so sceptical about the sort of more spiritual side of it. But what they said was, you know, off you just have to say to Mother Earth or Mother Ayahuasca, you're going to drink this, don't know what it is, but Peruvian tea that's got psychedelic qualities. So you're going to have an experience um, where you're going to go inside yourself, but you're also going to, you know, potentially have visions and have you can have a conversation with Mother Earth potentially. Yeah. Many people see a kind of female character and they have a conversation with Mother Ayahuasca or Mother Earth. So I went in and I thought, right, they said have an intention. So I imagined myself as a broken vase. And I just said, Mother Earth, can you fill the cracks with gold? So we're all lying on mattresses and you all, you know, take it from the shaman and set your intention and drink. And they blow the candles out and it's completely black, completely dark. And at first I got this really blissful feeling. And then I started to see all the happy things in my childhood. And they say, let ayahuasca guide you. She's your dance partner. You're not a sack of potatoes, but you're engaged. Yeah. But let yeah. her lead you. So I could yeah. see there was sadness and things in my childhood. But she's like, we're not going behind those doors. We're looking only at the happy things in your childhood. Um, and at one point, just coming out of it a bit and thinking, oh, um, how will I tell people about this later? How will I tell this as a story later? Like the storyteller in me started to yes. sort of think, yeah. re- how can yeah. I explain this? And immediately I was like, stop doing that. Just be here. Just be here. Why do you have to think about it like a story? It's not a story. Just think about it. Just be here. Just be here. Why do you have to be a storyteller? This Mother Earth character, she just said to me, um, no, the storyteller is part of you. She can come. Hmm. And it was the most lovely feeling. Anyway, then we went on and I could hear, because people throw up, people purge. They call it yes, purging. Yes, And I suddenly started doing this like stand-up comedy jokes, you know, like little <laughs> jokes in my head. And I was like, stop doing that. It's not funny. Why do you have to be a comedian? And then she went, no, no, she's fun. She can come. She said, all of you is welcome here. The storyteller's welcome. The comedian's welcome. All of you is welcome here. And it was the greatest moment of self-acceptance. It was just like, she was like, why are you trying to, it's the ego trying to go, you're not doing it right. This is what spirituality is. Just be in the moment. She was like, that's a a way of being in the moment. You just, just, part of you wants to make jokes and that's part of you. Why are you shushing her? Yeah. And it was just really lovely. But also she wasn't judgmental of me shushing. She was just going, she's yeah, welcome. Yeah. You're all yeah, welcome. Yeah. The she, are you seeing her? Or is she just a presence? At this in point amongst for your me, visuals? she was just a presence. Got you. We got to the point in my teenage years where I became a Jehovah's Witness. 
But she didn't show me any of that. She showed me everything I had done outside of that to survive and thrive. Mm. So she showed me how I had actually like escaped when I was a pioneer to go and engage with this improv. And I got very involved in that community, like on the down low until the eldest founder and banda. But I was like, I was in the theater and I'd forgotten how involved in that community I'd become. And she showed me everything I'd done. So actually, Annie, she showed me what you said, which is you found your ways to learn. You found your ways mm. to perform. You found your ways. Yeah. I think you're a bit like Mother Earth. Mm. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah, because you observed that. But she, so she showed me everything I'd done other than the cult. We didn't look at any of that. Then I came out the other side mm. of the cult and she said to me, you asked me to pour gold in the cracks, but you haven't left me anything to do. She said, every time a crack started to form, you poured gold in right away. Oh. And I went, oh, and I it was like a dolly shot where I pulled back and I saw my vase, the vase of me, and I could see all this gold in the vase. And I like, now, to be fair, there was a lot of gold there. It, was, it wasn't just like one crack with a bit of gold. It was mostly gold. Right. <laughs> it was mostly cracks of gold. But she was right. And I saw it and I was like, oh, I'm not broken. I fixed as I went. And then she said, when you were asked what would it have been like, what this time, what would this time have been like, you said you couldn't say. You could only say what other people had had. And I thought, oh, my God, that's so true. And... Uh, she said, would you like to go to the University of Queensland, where I was meant to go? Would you like to go to the University yeah. of Queensland at the age of 17 now, here? And I said, yes. She said, well, you can. You can go to university now, 17. And I went to university, and I had this extraordinary time. What? And it was like, it was a bit like a, a film, and then a montage, and then a... So it was like time passing. But I was amazed at how much of it was about doing plays and doing debating and going to philosophy lectures. And, and I met a boy. Yeah, yeah. And we fell in love and we were lying under the stars in the quad. And then he broke up with me and I didn't know why. And I went round. I was banging on the door of his dorm and I was quite mature and, you know, teenage about it. But I couldn't understand why he wouldn't talk to me. And I had my heart broken. And there was a sort of top note of heartbreak, but a bass note of joy that I was living it. I was getting it. I was living it. I was having it. And then I went and travelled. I went to Japan because that's what I would have done because I was partly studying Japanese, yeah, Japanese and I had another yeah. romance there and I went off anyway I ended up in London the two timelines converged of this alternative timeline and the reality yeah. and they met and I met my now husband as I did and then I sort of sped through my 30s and I hit my 40s and so I thought oh wow now I get to start the guilty feminist right and I was so full and Oh, I was in my total power and I went to start The Guilty Feminist and I had nothing to say. I didn't understand hmm. why some women needed feminism. I didn't understand why all women needed feminism. I didn't understand why some women were more marginalised than others. Like, everything gone right for me. And I didn't really have anything to say because my life had been so straightforward and easy and successful and... Yeah, by the book. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I hadn't had any obstacles. And I, and I looked back and I realised that the cracks in my vase were the substance of my work. But the gold 
was the way that I had found I'm funny. I can do comedy. I can make this work within this cult. Mm. Story mm. and comedy were the, my saviors. I had survived through story and comedy. That was my secret outlet. And that's where I built yeah. the craft, which is the gold. So when we come to this point of the guilty feminist, the cracks of the trauma, but the, the way I've got to, you know, deliver that is comedy and story and ways that are palatable and fun yeah. and entertaining and draw people in. And I went, oh, this is the only way it could have been. And then I just went, it's healed. Wow. And I knew it was healed forever. A year later, someone said, oh, I heard you had a good ayahuasca story. Can you tell me? And I started off by going, well, I just said to my therapist, I'm broken. And I laughed because a year later, it seemed risible to me. I was like, why would I have ever felt that? And it was almost like, I was like, that's almost like someone else. And then I went, oh, my God, this is the very first thing ever in my life where my brain is rewiring a positive message. You're not broken. You're a whole vase. The gold is, you know, is that you learnt these things in a crisis point of your life. You didn't learn comedy trying mm. to be funny and trying to get a gig because you wanted to be famous. You learnt it to survive. You mm. learnt it to, to, to breathe. The only way I can describe it, Annie, is all my life, everything else I've tried, it's like I'm trying to get up a hill and self-develop and get away from you know, trauma and we've all got trauma. You know, if it's not a cult, it's a divorce or an alcoholic parent or, a, you know, we've all got something, haven't we? I was trying to get up the mountain, but it was like a magnet was pulling me back. So if I took my eye off yeah. the ball, stopped doing all the things, you know, getting up and meditating yeah. or going to yoga, or whatever, I'd find, I'd turn around and I'd just suddenly go, oh, I've slipped back down the mountain. Didn't keep it up. Yeah. This is, it was like somebody had put the magnet at the top of the mountain. So when someone said, oh, I heard, wow. can you tell me your ayahuasca story? I turned around and went, yeah, I said I was breaking. And I went, oh, my God, I'm so much further up the mountain than I thought. What, look at the view from up here. And so you can't just do ayahuasca and then sit down on the mountain. you still got to keep walking up. But instead yeah. of the magnet drawing you back, in my case, on this instance, and I really think it's important mm. people hear that, it's not going to fix every single thing. It's not a silver bullet. It's a silver invitation. But... I was being pulled up. And I think that's how it should be. If you're putting the work in, it's not nice to be pulled up rather than pulled back. Of course. And so that, that was, and I've had other ones where it's been more like, here's something you didn't know about yourself. Are you prepared to do this work? And I have not done the work. And it has not changed right. my life. But it has yeah. still mulled a bit, it's changed it a bit. And then maybe I've gone back and yeah. done it again and I've talked to her again and I've had another epiphany and another change and... You know, lots of stuff about my adoption that I thought was not at all traumatizing. But of course, any baby who's relinquished and, you know, there's stuff yes. going on neurologically. So I've, you know, I've held myself as a newborn baby and taught my newborn self to to breathe. Oh like we've breathed together until we've become one, like extraordinary things. And that has to have, you know, an extraordinary impact on you. So I'm, for me, yeah. it has been life-changing. It was... The thing that, when you said, interesting question that you asked, how did comedy change it? I didn't know until I did that. And then I went, oh, yeah. comedy was yeah. my, the diamond in the coal mine. It was the thing that I, the, the thing that I grasped for, that I knew that I could do or was good at under pressure. I am just trying to get my head around this idea of you being the Jehovah's Witness and being told constantly what you can't do and what you shouldn't be and finding all your little ways of, 
staking your claim on yourself and who you really are and, and, and of being Deborah. And then that being paralleled with guilty feminists, which is the same thing. It's yeah, it's all just fed in. That whole experience is fed into how you have decided to conduct your career. Yeah. So is there a sense of peace now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more at peace. Yeah. But I would say I've been invited into the next stage of growth and trauma recovery because I finally got over that hill. So now there's other things to explore. Yeah. I think it will never be done. It will never be done. This brings me on really nicely to what you said about how you would like to change moving forwards. Your answer was so beautiful. Can I read it out to you? Oh, yes. You said, I want to accept that change will always be a part of my life. Instead of wanting to complete it all, I want to find a way to see changes to be made as a sign of life and not something that should be done by now. I want change to be the name of the game for me, not a sign of inadequacy. Yes, because I was like, what's the next thing that I want to do? And I was like, getting my head around. If I look out the window, I see spring coming. But spring doesn't go, spring's the best, completed. And nor does summer go, now it's summer, I'm done, finished. The seasons aren't like that, it's like completed. Oh, God, I'm such a failure. I've sunk back to winter. Why? All time, every time, every year I find myself back in winter. And I really thought I'd cracked summer now. It's just not how nature is. We're ageing. And as tragic as that news feels, especially for women who are coded, you know, or constantly conditioned that's the worst crime you can commit changing is changing is where the magic happens changing where the growth happens and it's and that's the reason we're so scared Mm. of it we love the status quo we're like stick here because we know it and we'd rather be in a almost rather be sometimes in a familiar miserable place than in a scary place that might be better but it might not be and we might not know how to grow into it or care about it so it's the it's the idea of accepting that change isn't something that you must make on the horizon it's something that's there every day all the time and it's part of your life and it's part of who you are and it's part of how you live your life and it's something to be embraced and it shows you're still alive like sometimes I sort of think yeah I think the one of the big problems with our society is we say to people okay now you've retired you've completed it now you just get to rest and consume what young people are doing and their changes you get to watch tv and you get to yeah you know yeah. Or, but read things of your own age group stay with things that made you feel safe when you were 30 you know yeah and actually why can't you keep changing and growing and learning and updating and connecting forever i don't understand why our society has set it up that way to be learning and growing in your own rate in your own pace with things that interest you That will keep people so much younger and more connected. I want to keep working as long as I can. And I hope I have an epiphany on the way out that makes me go, oh, that's what it was all about. I hope I'm learning right to the end. I hope I'm learning right to the end. I don't want to ever stop engaging, connecting, writing, creating, learning, listening, being changed by what's said to me, being changed by experiences. 
I never want to think I've failed because here's another autumn. Yeah. Deborah Francis White, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course, Deborah Francis White is the woman behind the Guilty Feminist podcast. Go and get that now. Go and listen to it. it there's a million episodes up there. You also need to check out this book, The Guilty Feminist, uh, which came out a, a good few years ago now. Was it 2018, I think? But it is amazing and worth buying for all of your friends. Men, I would do it for them too. Well, thank you very much. And we do live shows um, a lot in London and sometimes around the UK and we're touring Australia. So if listeners want to come along live, go to guiltyfeminist.com and um, see our show dates, listen to the podcast. The podcast is free. Download it wherever you are. The book is not. Please buy it. (laughs) Thank you so much. If you enjoy changes, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends and family. Go on social media. Tell everyone about it. Tag me, Annie McManus. I always love to see how you react to these episodes. And it's just so helpful to be seen and to be shared by you lot. So thank you so much if you do. There's a whole catalogue of episodes to listen to. If you have missed any at all, go back and check them out. And we'll be back next week. Changes is produced by Louise Mason with assistant production from Anna DeWolf Evans. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.